one of the most controversial chapters, I think, in the Bible because we have to answer the question is, can a person lose their salvation? And it's not as clear-cut as you and I would like to think. There's some questions. And the text today actually starts us there. So I'm going to ask, if this at all interests you, we need to start paying attention today, right? Because uh, the author is going to frame his understanding by chapter 6, starting in today's text. Actually, it was last week's text uh, a little bit. So hopefully you started paying attention last week. But if you have questions, that's uh, my phone number. There should have been another text slide on there. Um, but you can text that. We'll make sure your questions get answered. Um, text me or you have Pastor Trace's number, either one of those numbers. Uh, so if you hear something, you have questions, uh, if I've muddied the water, uh, feel free to text us. What, what I'd like to do now is I would like to invite Miss Anna up, Miss Anna Johnson. She's going to read our sermon text. I said it's a long one. And she has such a nicer voice than me. And I thought it would be nice. So would you stand to your feet as she reads our sermon text for the day coming out of Hebrews? And why don't you tell us what you're going to read, and we'll read along with you, ma'am. Okay, so Hebrews 3, 7. Uh, You want me to hold it for you? No, okay. Okay. Well, do I have to use it? I can Can speak speak loudly. Speak loudly. Okay, so it's Hebrews 3, 7, or 2, chapter 4, verse 13. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear his voice... Don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it, is, while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Remember what it says today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. God's promise of entering his rest still stands, So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. 
Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Excellent. Thank Thank you. Have a seat, please. Anna just took up half of our sermon time, so we really got to get back. That's a long text, and I don't blame you for the, like, what is happening right now in the text. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because this is important. You know, so like I said, you may be confused, but hopefully by the end of the message we'll, we'll clear this up, because he's actually getting at something very important here. So the first slide, oh, there's another number there. That's uh, Pastor Trace's number, so if you want to text us. It's also in the digital bulletin, all right, so if you have questions. And there probably will be questions, like I said, uh, so it's not going to be, a, hopefully not a long message, uh, but it's going to be hopefully profound, and not because I'm a profound guy, but because the text is. So here's our first slide, and we need to back up and look at what's already happened in chapter 3 as we begin to make sense. And chapter 3 starts off talking about Jesus and Moses. This is what we covered last week. And the text says that Jesus... And Moses were both faithful. And the reason we're backing up, because you remember we talked about the people not entering God's rest, the promised land. So we have this Exodus event that he's going to compare us to. So we got to go back, and there was a leader for the Exodus. This is Moses. So last week we saw that Jesus and Moses are faithful. But it called Jesus the builder of the house, and it called Moses the house. And he says the, the builder gets more honor than the thing that is being built. Now house... Is interesting. Again, this is kind of a recap from last week. But a house is like a dynasty, right? Has anyone seen like, uh, don't raise your hands because it's not the most Christian show, but like Game of Thrones, House Stark, House Targaryen, right? You have this idea, House David. So God has built himself a house, a kingdom. This is the idea here. But the one who built the house versus the house, the one who built it is greater. Amen? And then it also said that the son is greater than the servant. It said Moses was a faithful servant, but Jesus was a faithful son. And so the impetus is that Jesus is greater than Moses. This book is written to the Hebrews, right, Jews, right? So this is, uh, these are strong words. So now, by way of reminder, the next slide is we have to talk about the Exodus. So the other thing that we now need to know is the Exodus. What the Exodus is uh, in the Old Testament is God's chosen people. He called them his elect people had gone into slavery, into bondage. It used these different words, slavery and bondage. And who did they go into slavery to? Egyptians. The Egyptians. And they were there for hundreds of years. And eventually, God had heard the cries of the slaves, his people. And he wanted to deliver them. And so he raised up a man named Moses. Now Moses is interesting because Moses was he- a Hebrew, but Edith had gone out when Moses was a baby, that all the male children were to be Killed. And so what they did is they wanted to save as many child children as they can. So they, they made a little ark, put them in the water. You, you see a theme if you're a big theme person like me, like you see things of arcs and waters and 
deliver it out of water. And what happens is they floated this little little baby down the water, and who should find them? The Pharaoh's daughter, right? Or was it Pharaoh's wife? Daughter. daughter. I was right the first time. All right, Pharaoh's daughter. Mm-hmm. Should have read this before I talked about it. And they pulled the baby out, and so Moses, now a Hebrew, is raised in the palace with Pharaoh as one of his own sons. Right? He has his father. And then Moses then later on decides that you know what? I he feels his call. He sees like one of his own blood brothers, an Israelite, being beaten by an Egyptian, and so he kills the Egyptian, and then he decides to flee. Right? So he he feels his call to rescue his people. Now, if we think in terms of big pictures here, Moses was raised in a palace. He was kingly. He rejected to identify with Pharaoh, to identify with his enslaved brothers. He went toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, and he led his people out through the water of the Red Sea into the wilderness for 40 years with the destination of the Promised Land. Now, this is important to our text because we're, we're talking about Moses and Jesus now. But one of the biggest things you can see in the Bible is that Jesus is also leading an exodus. And Jesus is the new Moses, the greater than Moses, who's leading people. Jesus left his throne to identify with his brothers who were enslaved. Jesus went toe-to-toe with Satan, the god of this world, and was victorious. Jesus went to the waters of baptism, 40 days into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. His destination was the right hand of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is the new Moses. And so what happens is the writer of Hebrews is setting us up on this idea. It's like, look, this is why the old exodus failed. This is why the people failed. And he's warning us, don't fail, because you're also in a new exodus event. So let's talk about, here's our next slide, why Israel failed. Right? So what happens is, is Israel was on their way to the promised land. Right? So we talked about this. Now they're out of bondage. and They've gone through the Red Sea and they're in the wilderness. God is not happy with his people in the wilderness. If you don't know the story, is this is not a long march over the promised land, but it ends up taking 40 years. They end up doing a couple of victory laps because the people are in rebellion. They don't want to listen to God. God, this is the events where God feeds them miraculously with manna from heaven. He does all these miraculous signs. That, that first picture I showed you, there was a fire above the tent, right, at night, and a cloud by day. Like, you had physical representation that God was with you. And now, we're going to get into what our text says. The text actually tells us why the people failed to enter the promised land. In 319, it's not, if you have your Bible, it's not going to be on your screen. We'll keep, we'll keep this up here for now. It says, we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, you're wondering, say, wait a minute. I thought the scripture was talking about rest. You see, in the Old Testament and the New, the promised land was always called God's rest. Right? It says they failed to enter the promised land. They, they failed to pro- enter God's rest because of unbelief. So we see here in the Old Testament, it's almost synonymous, rest and the promised land. Right? Now, we're going to talk about what rest means today in a little bit. But you need to see this picture. So you notice it didn't say they did, failed to enter in because of sin. Please know that. Because the people sinned, right? We got some golden calf worshiping, right? We got all of this other kids. So I, I mean, it's a very R-rated events are going on uh, on this trip through the wilderness. But it says it was unbelief that kept them out. Four verses, Hebrews four two says this: For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, 
But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. 4.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This whole text points to the fact that Israel could not enter the promised land because of unbelief. Now, the picture I chose up here is we have this famous event. It's called the 12 spies. Anyone know this story? So Israel was like, man, we want to go to the promised land. So they sent 12 spies. And they said, hey, go spy out the land and find out if we can truly enter this. Right? So God said, hey, this is your place. So they sent out 12 spies. Now, we know what happens is the spies are, are appearing into land. And I said, okay, first of all, these grapes are huge. Second of all, there's giants in the land. And 10 of the 12, the Bible says they gave an evil report or a bad report. Because they said, there's no way we're going to take over the promised land. The people in there are going to kill us. But there are two people that said, yeah, we can take this because God is with us. Does anyone know, for 50 points, who the two people were? Joshua. Joshua. Do you know who are the only two people that got to enter the promised land? Joshua and Caleb. That's right. Everybody else died in the wilderness. So the only the two people that believed entered the promised land, everybody else died outside. It's not sin that keeps people out of the promised land. It's unbelief. This is Israel's big thing. You're already picking up what I'm putting down, I think, when we talk about what our rest is. It's unbelief kept the people of Israel. And we're going to start seeing this pattern. It happened last week, and it's happening now. And as we move into chapter 6, we see our great enemy is unbelief. So now our next slide up there, it says, so what's the point? Hebrews 4.11 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The King James says it better. Let us therefore labor to enter into rest. We have this paradox, like work to rest. So here's the whole point of today's message, right? So we have to figure out how to enter this promised land, this rest, because the writer of Hebrews is telling us we have to go to the promised land too. Does this mean we get on a plane and we fly to the Middle East? No. It's something much different and greater. So if rest is the destination, we have to know what this rest is, right? In the Old Testament, we've kind of pointed out that the passage refers to the promised land. Now, if you remember the definition of the promised land, right? It's a land flowing with what? Milk and honey, right? And Samuel says the promised land is a spot where God will give you rest from all of your enemies. It's this idea that in God's land is complete provision, it's security, it's abundance, it overflows with all the goodness and greatness of God. This is what the promise was. The problem is, is these people missed it, the Israelites, they missed it. They didn't realize that this rest was available to them in the wilderness. Think about all the things they thought were in the promised land. God was providing them in the wilderness. Did the Lord provide them abundance of food and water in the wilderness? Yes, the answer is yes. Right? Water came out of a rock. Some wild stuff is happening out there. Right? Did their clothes ever wear out? Did their sandals? No. Who said yes? Come on, Levi. What do I do? Keep going? Just keep going. Yeah. What kind of Bible study has been going at home, Jack? That's what I want to talk about. Yeah, okay. Come on. Levi's a good kid. 
He's way better than I was. Okay, here we go. So, yeah, so the Bible actually says that their clothes never wore out. That's how much God was taking care of us. That their sandals didn't wear out. Their clothes did not wear out. They had divine protection, right? Because there's a moment where God lifted the protection, and a bunch of snakes came out and started biting people, right? Like, so you realize that God actually had his hand over these people the entire time. These were all the promises of the promised land, but they missed it because they thought it was a physical destination, and they didn't trust him. The whole entire time they were going through the wilderness, they doubted God. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us die in the wilderness? That's a famous quote. They said, hey, in Egypt, at least we had leeks and garlic and salt on our food. Out here, we can't even get spices for our food. Now imagine you go from crying out by being enslaved, and then you see God deliver you through the waters, right? Like you went through the Red Sea, you saw Pharaoh's army drowned. You know, three months later, you're, you're like, man... Where's the garlic for this quail? <laughs> I'd rather be back in Egypt making bricks because at least I had garlic. I mean, you see, this is ungrateful. And then they spy out the land and they see all these supernatural things like, yeah, we're not, God is not with us. God cannot take care of these people. Are you kidding me? He just took care of the strongest army in the known world. And you're scared of these jokers that are in the promised land right now where God said, it's yours. This is just an evil heart of unbelief, the Bible says. They had the rest and they couldn't see it. If they had the faith, they would have experienced that rest and made it to the promised land in under 40 years. Now, again, understanding, so what is our rest? Well, friends, Jesus is our rest. Matthew says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon you, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now think about this. If Jesus is our rest, will Jesus provide for your needs? Yes, yes. Will Jesus give you rest from your enemies all about? Yes, yes. Is Jesus able to heal your bodies? Yes. That's right. Jesus is our rest. This is what the Bible says. Strive, labor to enter into this rest. So now we have to ask the question again is what's the point? Strive to enter this rest so that we may not fall by the same sort of disobedience. So that means we have to understand that to enter Jesus' rest takes what? Starts with an F. Faith. Faith. They didn't enter, not because of sin, but because of faith. They failed to enter because of unbelief. Now, if we are going to enter into Jesus' rest that's promised to us, we need faith. Jesus, like Moses, is bringing his people out in Exodus to take possession of God's rest. While there is a physical destination for us, remember, we can experience God's rest here and now. This is why the Bible says, as long as today is called today, do not harden your hearts like the children back then. They failed to enter in because of unbelief. As long as today is called today, friends, we can enter God's rest. This is the point. We can enter it. So think through again. They failed because of this unbelief. And now we have to start searching our hearts. What do we believe? Right? What is keeping us out of the promised land? What is keeping us out of God's rest? Next up on the screen, I want to compare two scriptures to see that this is a theme that's going to run throughout your Bible. Not that one. Why is that there? What's happening? Not that one. It's actually, it's, it's the Matthew one in Hebrews 11.6. It's just a white screen. It's got two scriptures on it. Thank you. This is kind of the linchpin of the whole text. It's been wonderful. 
That's my daughter back there, so Jack, I apologize for the lead line jokes. But. All right, so we have the Matthew one. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you the rest. Right? We just read that. Now look at this. Hebrews 11.5 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe. Jesus says, come to me. What does Hebrews say? Anyone who comes to me must believe. You can't come to Jesus without faith. Right? So this idea of entering God's rest and God's promises, it, it hinges upon whether or not you believe. That's the only thing that's required. How are we saved? Believe in the gospel and you shall be saved. Right? What's the, what's the one requirement to enter into the kingdom? Is it, is it living a perfect life? Is it helping the poor? Is it being kind? Believe the gospel. That's it. He's made it the one thing where every single person can actually do. We all believe something, right? And this is how he chose to do it, is through faith. So you can keep that up. Like You can just find this. If you just read the teachings of Jesus, every time he healed somebody, almost every time I should say, there's a couple he doesn't. But he always asks a weird question. Does anyone know what that question is? Do you believe I'm able to do this? And even the one guy that didn't believe, remember he cried out, help my unbelief? Even if there's a willingness to want to believe, God works for you. This isn't, you know, this isn't about making faith a work, right? That if there's a heart that's bent towards God, the Bible says he gives every man a measure of faith. It's in us to believe. It's the world, the Bible says that Satan blinds the mind of unbelievers that don't want to come to God. This idea that our world actually tries to do everything out of this idea of belief. Romans teaches us that if you just look around at the world we live in, it's kind of proof positive that there is a God, the beauty of the world, and the beauty of our relationships, humanity. But it's a battle of faith. So I want to kind of talk about faith. I think this is how we're going to land the plane, because now if faith is the important thing, if this is the one thing we add to the equation, in our relationship with God, whether we enter the rest, whether he's pleased. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. We have to know what faith is. Right? We really have to. If we, want it, we know what the rest is, but how do we get the faith to, to enter this rest? Uh, there's a philosopher, and I forgot his name. I wrote it in my, my other notes. And so if you want to know, I'll share it with you. I'll get home, I'll text it to you. But this is, so this is not my idea, but he came up with this uh, idea that faith has three, there's three kinds of faith, public, private, and core. Our public faith is what we share with other people, right? So imagine you're, let's say you're kind of left-leaning politically, and you find yourself in the middle of a Trump train rally. <laughs> Bad place to be if you're leaning left, right? Or the other way around, let's say you're right-leaning, and you find yourself up at UC Berkeley at a, at a mob protest outside of the university, right? You're like, okay. You will say some things that you can identify with the other people. That's your public belief, right? You're not going to tell everybody what you really think about evil. Right? Does that make sense? We all have beliefs that we hold that we don't tell other people. Would you say that's true? No. You don't show up to work and tell everyone what you believe. Some people do, but they're not liked very much. So those are our public beliefs. We have our private beliefs, which, which we know we hold. And we share those maybe with people that are close to us. Or maybe in a, like, you know, in the parlance of, of our time, a safe space. Right, people that you can actually share with. Like maybe, maybe that's like a fight club. Like, hey, this is kind of what I believe. Or, you know, and maybe it's not a popular opinion. But then we have these things called core beliefs. And this is the idea of something we never deviate from. This is deep inside of us. Right? Like, 
Sometimes we can't express it. Maybe it doesn't line up with our public or private things. But our core beliefs actually are exposed through our actions. Uh, I'm going to steal, Tim Mackey has this, uh, he likens it like this, I'm going to steal his example because it's way better than what I've come up with. He says, as Christians, you know, we, we believe that it's good to give and help the poor and help people that are fortunate. We should be generous with our resources, right? Do you agree with that? But if we look at our lives and you find out that you haven't given anything to anybody, your core belief is not, you don't really believe that. You may think you believe it. You read the Bible and you say, no, I, I agree with the Bible. It is good to help the poor. It is good to help the most fortunate. I should be generous with the resources. But if you pause, and you think that's a core belief. You're like, yeah, I believe this. And you think this is your private belief. The problem is, if you look at your bank account, you look at your actions, you don't do that. Is that a true core belief? No. Your core belief is that you think you're the most important person in the world. You can't change your core belief. You may think you understand it, but your actions betray you. You may believe you think it's you need to treat your wife a certain way. You think, yeah, this is it. This is who I am. But brothers, do your actions betray you? Right? Core beliefs can't be betrayed. It's who you are. That's faith. Faith is at the end of the day what's unshakable there at the core of you. Right? True faith is when you're in public, private, and core beliefs all line up. Yeah. Where what you profess, what you think, and who you are have aligned. This has nothing to do with sin or right living. Right? Jesus has taken care of it. I'm not telling you this is license of sin, so don't read into this wrong. But when it says we enter rest and that God is only pleased by faith, this is what I'm talking about. When our actions, our thoughts, and our speech all line up with each other. Faith is expressed in what we do and what we say. The Bible says, I believed, therefore I spoke. What is coming out of your mouth? Does it line up with the word of God? You speak what he says. Like, are you tearing other people down? Are you destroying yourself? Are you beating yourself up with words? Are you tearing other people down? Your core beliefs. What are your actions? Are they betraying who you think you are? This is a question only you can answer. I know what the answer is, because the answer in my life is, yeah, I'm not very good. Mm-hmm. Right? These areas, so... We, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to tell you how to actually improve these things. Right? So I'm, I'm, my idea is not just to condemn you. But that's what faith is. This is true biblical faith. Amen? Amen? The Bible says that God has given us this measure of faith. And it says if you have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. The good news, friends, is it doesn't take a whole lot to accomplish a whole lot in the kingdom of God. The Bible says anything is possible to him who believes. You see why this is so powerful. This is the kind of person that God works through, that has faith. That's why Jesus is always concerned with entering this faith. So, how do we get faith? Luckily, the Bible tells us, it says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the number one way to increase your faith is you need to begin reading this thing. You need to understand that faith comes by this. If I'm going to trust God, I need to know what God says. I need to understand what he thinks. I need to understand his character. So when we talk about labor to enter into rest, hopefully this, hopefully it's a tough topic. Hopefully I'm being clear here. And the idea of rest is where I've totally trusted Jesus to take care of my needs. It is no longer me who is self-sufficient. The problem is, friends, we rely too much on our own strengths, right? My ability, my my brain power, my, my job, my paycheck, my 401k, 
This is what I'm trying to move me from relying on me to relying on him. That's faith. That's all God ever wants. He's given me the ability to work with my hands, to make the money, right? He's given me that ability, but he doesn't want me to trust that ability because these abilities are fleeting, right? I can, I, God forbid, I hope I don't, but I can have an accident that labors me unable to work. That's all gone, right? My brain power, let's say, you know, Brian hits me in the head with a snake again. That happened like six months ago. I got a, a concussion here in church. See, and I lose my ability to think clearly. These things happen, right? We know these things happen. You can't rely on it. But there is one person that never changes regardless of what happens in my life. You've heard a lot, a lot of you have heard my testimony. God was with me when I had nothing, and God was with me when I have things. He's always there. He's the, he's the rock. He's the anchor, right? No matter what happens in my life, grief, success, he's there. And what faith is, is like I trust him through all these different seasons of my life. Right? And so I need to get into this word. Faith comes by hearing. So I need to know what he says about these things. So I actually have something to stand on. Because when you stand on a lie, God is not honored. He doesn't have to, he's not obligated to stand on your lie. He's obligated to stand on his word and his truth. His word is truth, the Bible says. Amen? So you should begin to write these things down. If you want to know what God says about X, Y, or Z, whatever your situation is. Right? So let's, let's use something that is very common today in our world. People that have anxiety or stress. Is there any scriptures that talk about this? Yeah. Casting all your cares on them, Right. So I would begin. This is what I do. This is what I did. I have most of these things memorized now, but I would write them on note cards. I would just memorize this. Whatever you're going through. Right? Okay. Lord, you told me to cast your cares on Let's pause. Let's use this as an example. The Bible says, Jesus said, come to me. Give me your cares. Awesome. You believe if I bring my cares to Jesus, he'll take them. But let's stop. Do you do that? Your core belief says you don't because you've done it once in six months. And yet all the time, like, why do I have this anxiety and all these cares? Why am I struggling so hard? Friends, this is a daily process. Like, you feel it again the next day? Doesn't mean it didn't work, right? That means you need persistence. The Bible talks a lot about that. You, you've heard me dwell on these things, right? Like, let endurance have its perfect work that the man of God may be complete. Christianity is one and done. I've gotten more miraculous results through prayer by not ceasing in prayer. I don't think I've ever prayed once and seen something like that. It's just been laboring in prayer every single day. Man, friends, I hate to tell it to you, but man, I'm bad like, this is not that I get answers to prayer, but it's not because of me. It's just because I just don't stop. If something really is driving me to my knees in prayer, I will pray about it every day until God changes it, or he changes me. And I've seen bodies healed. I've seen relationships broken off. I've seen like, you know, bad ones. I've seen things restored. But they don't come overnight as I bring it to him daily. Right? Let's say your kids are in a bad relationship. You, you, you think, hey, these kids are leaving my kids in Man, you should be on your knees every morning about that. It doesn't happen overnight, right? It's like, Lord, bring positive people into my child's life. I told you my daughter in the back of the slides, like, for three years, terrible, terrible childhood eczema. Like, we, it's called weeping eczema. Gnarly stuff. Man, we just didn't stop praying. It took three years, but at, at year three, for whatever reason, I got serious, like, the last 30 days of it. You've heard the story, but it was just watching my wife crying, holding my daughter who was crying, like, breaking my heart. 
I was like, you know what, Lord, this is enough. So I nailed some scriptures to the wall, and man, I was just a bulldog on those things. And I just read the scriptures over my daughter every day. Like, Lord, you sent your word to heal Hannah and deliver her from destruction. I went through all the healing scriptures. And it was about 30 days later, you just saw the stuff like falling off of her and her hair growing in and her skin being restored. Now, she still suffers from eczema from time to time, but it's nothing like it was. And we had relief in the young household when the Lord touched her. We got sleep at night. My daughter was sleeping through the night for the first time in months. And I didn't have to watch my wife cry looking at our daughter. Makes me want to cry thinking about it. Because it breaks your heart when you watch your wife and your child cry. Amen? I don't like thinking about that. (laughs) (laughs) The point is, when you're driven to your knees, it's faith. You don't stop. Just like David, remember his son was dying? He prayed every day. He didn't get the result. His child actually died. But after the child died, he got up washed his face and he anointed himself. There's nothing to be done now. He said the labor was while it was happening. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to trust him. There's a point when the doctors can't do anything. There's a point when you don't know anybody that has enough money to bail you out of the mess you got yourself in. God wants you to trust you when it's impossible. And that's the problem. Is we only come to him when it is impossible. Some, some of us don't even come to him then because they think it's impossible. He wants you to trust him when everything is working too. Amen. It's the most dangerous thing is to have enough is because we stop praying. It's dangerous when everyone is healthy and everything is good because that's when we stop offering the sacrifice of praise. But the promise of rest still remains whether you think you have enough or not. Rest, again, while it's a physical destination, is actually here and now. As long as today is called today, we should be entering into this relationship of rest. Amen? Labor. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So the last piece we're going we're gonna to read here is in Hebrews. That's the last thing that Anna read to us. And this is a piece of text you should memorize. In verse 12 it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open. The eyes of him whom we must give an account. So we see here, he tells us, let us be diligent to enter this rest. And we know that the people in the Old Testament couldn't enter the rest because of unbelief. And then it gives us this weird little thing. It says, for the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So we see here is the word actually tells you if you have faith or not. He says, labor to enter in the rest. Heads up, the word of God is sharper. You can't trick him. It's the word that exposes it. So we go back to the idea that faith comes by hearing. But the word of God, as you read it, you'll actually start to understand what you believe and what you don't believe. I have been more challenged by reading the text. And like, you know what? I don't know what I think about this. It starts to discern my thoughts and the intents of my heart. The word is like a scalpel. It starts to cut out the unbelief and the doubt. Amen? We call ourselves a community of Jesus. The Bible says, uh, let us not forsake the assembly of one another. How do we develop faith? So the next thing I would say is we actually develop it in community. Now some people would argue, it's like, well, that's called drinking the Kool-Aid. You get around it. It's an echo In a good church, we should be challenging each other with what we believe. Right? If we're being really honest, 
would anyone testify that there's some hard things to believe in this book? This idea that we just read this thing and blindly believe it, that's not Christian faith. That's a cult. Right? Like we examine the scriptures. We question the scriptures. We, we trembly hold the things like, am I believing the right things? I tell you, friends, I have no desire to be right. I just want to know what the truth is. If I'm wrong, I just pray the Lord, just reveal it to me. I have no dog in this hunt. I am not defending any denomination. I just want to be right because that's all that matters at the end of the day is I understand what he wants me to know. Amen? Doubt is not a lack of faith, right? Doubt just means you're actually thinking about it. Like we're gonna, I'm not going to dive into today because as we head into Hebrews 6, like I said, we have a collision course with apostasy and unbelief and, and we're heading that way. But just know that faith is going to be the linchpin to this whole conversation, at least in my, my worldview. But questioning things in unbelief doesn't mean you're apostate, and it doesn't mean you're out of God's will, and it doesn't, doesn't mean God doesn't work through you. But we have to labor to, to enter into this, right? Like we have to do work. This kind of faith that enters into this rest doesn't happen automatically. I would argue the opposite happens. If you're lazy about these things, you actually drift off into unbelief. Right? You have to work on these things. You actually have to be reading it, thinking about it, praying about it. My wife and I had a conversation months back. My wife was questioning some things in the Bible. And she was more alarmed that she was questioning things. Like, versus the question, she was more alarmed. Like, how could this happen 20 years later? I'm wondering about some of these things. And she was alarmed. And it was kind of cute because I wasn't alarmed. I was like, well, this is just, to me, it's kind of par for the course. Like, you stick around long enough, you should be having questions. If you're reading your Bible, you should have questions. I forgot what my point is. Um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, doubt and all these kind of things. Um, drifting into unbelief. Yeah, yeah, the idea of drifting, I think, so. is, you know, a man or woman who reads the text, we should have questions. And I think there are answers, but some answers, A, we don't like. B, some of these answers take a long time to fully understand. Like, the Bible is a very deep book. Have you ever heard people get hung up on questions like the God of the Old Testament versus Jesus? Let's say some big ones, right? Like, why would God tell people to do genocide? Right? Like, hey, why did God go in there and kill everybody in the land? And all these kind of things. Now, I think I have answers for all these if you ever wondered. Of course I do. Uh, but these are answers that don't come over time. They do require study and diving into the Word. Oh, yeah. So then we get into community and praying and realizing these things. And a lot of the times, people hide these from each other that they've had doubts too, and they think they're super Christians. But this guy is a rock of faith. And the idea we do life in community is to know that we all enter there. Like we're to pick up believers when they're down. And we're all not going to be up all the time. right? Sometimes life circumstances, you experience a death or something tragic, and people question God and all these kind of things. So back to my wife, what I told her was, she's like, well, how do you do with these things? Not her words, my words, but that was kind of the gist of it. I said, you know, I know the word. I think I know the word well. It's in my heart. I said, but the one thing I, 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 I latch onto, I've seen God move in my life. I have seen things that cannot be explained that I've received through prayer. Praying, I've seen miraculous things. I've seen God respond, not just once, not twice. Like It's almost innumerable at this point. This idea of believing and entering in this rest. It's the idea that if my only relationship with Jesus Christ was just reading his word, that's a dead relationship. Right? Because now it just becomes like it's one dimensional. 
But I've experienced, I've tasted and saw that the Lord is good. I've seen him redeem me. I've seen him redeem others. I've seen things. I'm not saying you need miracles. But can you think of your own life where you've seen God move? I was like, this is what holds, I hold on to. It's like, man, I think back to, like I said, the praying for Hannah, praying for my brother who was in a, in a tragic accident. I have experienced, I've experienced the Lord. I know him. This helps me. This helps me understand his will. But it's my personal relationship that anchors me. When I read something in the text, I'm like, I don't understand how this works. And then that little voice comes, is, is this whole thing real? Are you wasting your time? I've seen the hand of the Lord. I've experienced him. I know him. That anchors me. My prayer for you is if you could find the faith to enter into this rest, friends, that God is willing and able to hear, to listen. He moves on this people's behalf. If you're living a life that is absent from this kind of relationship, as long as today is called today, he's inviting you into his rest. Matter of fact, it says he wants you there. This is not something he keeps you out. The Bible says, come boldly into the presence of God that we may obtain mercy and help in our time of need. God wants you to do it so bad. He says, come boldly. He's like, please, come. Does anyone need rest? Come. Raise your hand if you need rest. Are we not all just lived out in a stressed out society? He says, come, come. But those who come must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You have to come with belief. My prayer is if you don't have that belief, be the man in the New Testament that said, help my unbelief. Right? You'll see. That, that prayer, God, prove to me you're real. Friends, if you could, the grain of a mustard seed, he'll prove it. I've seen his hand move time and time and time and time again. Amen? He wants to meet with you. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants to heal the broken heart. And I, I've seen him do it. This is, this is my anchor. And has anyone ever said, it's like, God, you've done this for me. It's like, the fact you've done this with me, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Has anyone had an experience like that? Okay, just um, <laughs> But I own, right? Like, he's answered my prayers. Anyways, I'll go off on a tangent. Friends, I love you very much. Hopefully you got, some te- you got something out of this. But this is it. We're in an Exodus moment. He likened the Old Testament Exodus. Here's why they failed. Here's the warning. Don't fail the same way. God is leading us too. This is the last image I'll put in your head and we'll close in prayer. Israel was in Egypt. That's slaves. They go through the Red Sea into the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Jesus called out of Egypt to the waters of baptism the wilderness for 40 days. You've seen the pattern. We've talked a lot about this, right? The first test Jesus had was with bread. Remember that? Hey, if God is real, turn these rocks to bread. That's the same test that Israel had. And Jesus actually quoted the same scripture that Israel should have quoted. Listen, us. Egypt is a type of the world. We are called out of this world. We go through the waters of baptism into the Lord Jesus Christ. And where are we in the story, friends? We are in the wilderness right now. We have not yet got to the promised land. We're in the wilderness, right? Have you heard this, that we're to behave as sojourners and pilgrims in this world, right? That this earth is not our home, not in this world. You've seen the bumper sticker, please? So if you want to identify where are we in this whole equation, we're in the wilderness. We're in a world, the Bible says, that another God of this world actually controls. We're in hostile territory. Even here in the United States, imagine that. So Israel does this pattern. Jesus does this pattern. Now we're in this pattern. There's also micro patterns, right? Because we have 
the flood with Noah. We have Moses in the basket. Like, you can't get away with this idea of going out of bondage through the waters. Moses went through the waters and he's in the palace, right? Like, you get this idea that this is part of this story. And the reason God tells these multiple stories and we have patterns in this Bible is because, remember, he wrote, he inspired this book to be written for us to identify, A, to know who he is, to know who we are, and to, I think it's to navigate where am I at in this story. Because if I know where I'm at, I know where I'm going, then I know how to behave. I know why people made it and why people didn't make it. And friends, right now, you, part of the story, you are in the wilderness. So what you have to do is enter this rest. It's not when you get to heaven, you can have it now. This is my point. You can have it now. Be like the two spies that believed. And if you don't know how to get there, help my unbelief. Like, pray, read. It's okay, right? Like, my point is, like, we want to bend towards belief, not away from it. That's the impetus of what this... The writer of Hebrews is warning us. Because we can fail. In chapter 3, he says, beloved. We know he's talking to believers. Three, chapter, uh, Hebrews 3, verse 1. He says, beloved. He's talking to believers. He says, here's the warning. Don't do what they did. You can serve Jesus faithfully your whole life and never have this rest. What a waste. Right? You'll still get to heaven. Right? Because you believe in Jesus. Look what you're leaving on the table. He's like, like there's a spot where you can have rest. Labor to enter into that rest. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.